Tyler Hatcher, who's a recent graduate of Greyfriars, and he went to NSA, right? That's where he went. And he uh, is an alumni of Providence, of the illustrious Providence. So he uh, is going to just be amazing at rhetoric. I just see what I just did to him there. Tyler? Well, good morning. It really is a pleasure to be with you all. Um, it's really great to be back in the area. I was able to hang out at Dean's house uh, a couple weekends ago and help with the roofing project for a couple hours. And it's fun to see people and then know that I'm going to see you again without uh, having to go back to Moscow and be gone for a long time uh, be between when I see you all. So it's, it is great to be back in the area. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be reading uh, starting in verse 13. Verses 13 through 18. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And amen. Let's pray together. Most kind and gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning, to come before you with our praises, our prayers, um, to seek your forgiveness, to receive your forgiveness. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We pray, Lord, that it would have its way with us. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable before you and that you would feed your people as your word is preached. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today in our culture, Mike talked about this a little bit during the corporate prayer time. There's a lot of darkness. We're surrounded by um, darkness and um, and idolatry in our culture, like Shadrach, Meshach, and, Abed and Abednego faced in Babylon. We're faced with many idols that our culture wants us to pay homage to. These idols, many of them, have a common root, and that common root is personal choice. Th this is particular in our day. In our day, we're not faced with idols um, that are set up as gold statues for the most part, right? We don't, we don't, we're not called to bow down to images in the way that we see um, in Daniel chapter 3. But there are all kinds of idols, and we are, we are told to worship them. These idols are, again, this, these idols of personal choice. And these idols teach an autonomous doctrine. We're most familiar with this when it comes to arguments surrounding abortion. But the autonomous doctrine uh, uh, that these idols teach is my body, my choice. My body, my choice. And it's much broader than just my body. It's my body, my choice. My desires, my choice. Whatever I want. This principle of personal choice goes far beyond abortion, right? This is true beyond just talking about whether or not a woman has the right to, uh, to kill the baby in her womb. But we must remember that these are simply idols. 
We must remember that they are not more than idols. They're not uh, gods that have any real power. And at the same time, we must remember that they are idols and that they need to be taken down. These are gods that seek, uh, gods in a sense, that seek to take the place of Yahweh, lords that seek to usurp the Lord Jesus. These idols require acceptance and celebration and obeisance. And those who refuse to give these things to these idols are accused of blasphemy and increasingly so are persecuted. We see this in our legislation that gets passed. We see this in uh, the media. We see this in lawsuits that are brought against people who refuse to bow down to these idols. And we'll get more into more specifically what these idols are. But the question for us this morning is what are we supposed to do? There are all different, all, so many different kinds of idols out there. So many different, uh, claims for our worship. What are we supposed to do? How do we resist and bring down these idols that we see in the culture around us? How do we live like the faithful Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? In what way can we take a stand against these idols? So I want to walk through three different idols that we see in the culture that, that have this commonality of uh, personal choice. And uh, I want to walk through them and talk about both identifying what these idols are specifically, but then also identifying what it is that these idols require. All idols, all, all gods require sacrifice, whether it's the true God or false gods. And so it's, it's important to recognize what it is that these idols are demanding. First of all, uh, of the three idols that I want to talk about this morning, the first is same-sex mirage. And I'm, I'm very careful in choosing that term because the culture claims that um, a man and a man or a woman or a woman, a woman and a woman can get married. And you are told that you must celebrate this union of same-sex couples in what they want to call marriage. But frankly, it's not marriage because marriage is something that is uh, instituted by God. It's divinely set up by God. It's not something that we get to choose what it looks like. So because of this, we shouldn't call it marriage, right? We shouldn't call it homosexual marriage because that's not a thing. That, that's not true. And so we see in this that the sacrifice that this idol requires is the God-defined institution of marriage. When, you bow, when the culture calls us to bow down to this idol, what they are calling you to do is to sacrifice on their altar God's definition of marriage. Same-sex mirage is not marriage, and yet you are told more and more to acknowledge that it is and to respect it and to celebrate it. Okay, so that's the first idol um, that, uh, of the three that I want to look at this morning. The second idol of personal choice is the idea that you can choose or change your, or change your gender. Right? Our culture calls this transgenderism. Um, and as I was thinking about this this week, and I'm very uncomfortable with calling it transgenderism. And here's why. The term transgenderism assumes that you can, in fact, change your gender. And, and I'm not convinced that you can. Because, like with marriage, gender is something that God has instituted. I haven't uh, heard or come up with a word to substitute for that, so I'll use the term transgenderism probably throughout the sermon, but um, I'm uncomfortable with it. So if you have any suggestions, please come talk to me. <laughs> well, that's good. 
So, but, but this idea again is that you can choose or change your gender as you see fit, as you choose, as you feel based on your experiences. And this idol lusts after the self-mutilation of its worshipers. This idol calls on its worshipers to mar the image of God, the gender that God has given to them, in worship of this idol. So this this idol requires, in in a sense, the sacrifice of its worshipers, and in addition requires the sacrifice of God's created order of male and female. When you worship, when the culture worships, when, when we bow down to this idol, we sacrifice God's created order of male and female. God created man, as in mankind, male and female after his own image. Okay, so that's the second idol. The third is um, abortion. This is the idol of personal, personal choice that we are probably most familiar with. And again, this is where the doctrine, my body, my choice, comes from, where we hear it the most, where we see it used the most. This idol lusts after the blood of unborn children. And we're familiar with this. I think in a lot of ways, abortion is the, um, the idol that uh, Christians, at least in our circles, are the most aware of and that we are the most active in fighting against. And that's wonderful. Abortion is a bloody scourge on our land, and you are told that you must celebrate the idol that says that a woman can choose her body or her lifestyle over the life of the baby that she carries. Okay, We see this in legislation that gets passed, um, and, and we saw this recently in King County. Um, uh, hopefully you're aware of this, but um, a couple weeks ago, the King County Board of Health passed legislation in an attempt to require uh, facilities like our friends CareNet to um, post signs in their facilities claiming that this is not a healthcare facility. And if they refuse to do that, then they are, uh, there are heavy fines that are imposed on these um, uh, centers. So what's the problem with this? What would be wrong? I, I think it would be wrong for CareNet to submit to this, to actually put these signs up. Why is that? It's because the, the logic behind this legislation is that if you do not provide abortions, if you do not provide referrals for abortions, then you're not a health care center. You're not a health care facility. So in order to submit to that legislation, people like CareNet would have to say, we agree with our culture's definition of health. Right? That's, that's bowing down to an idol. Thankfully, in God's providence, um, care, there's some legal loopholes, and CareNet is, is not going to have to um, submit to that, um, which is a, a godsend. Okay, but do you see how that would be idolatry? It's bowing down to this idol that says, we get to define human life as we want, not as God defines it. So the question, these are the three idols that I want to talk about this morning. How do we topple these idols? These are big topics. They're big problems that we see. But what are we called to do? We all acknowledge that these are things which need to be resisted, which need to be fought against, which idols that need to be toppled over. And it is intimidating, I think, for us as we see these dark idols grasping for more and more every day. We know that our weapons, as we read um, in 2 Corinthians 10 this morning, are not carnal. Our our weapons are not carnal, but they are powerful. They are powerful for for pulling down strongholds and evil ideologies. They're powerful for pulling down these evil things in our culture. How do we wield them? 
the main two weapons that God has given us are his word and prayer. And you can see this particularly in Ephesians chapter 6. In this, if you're familiar with Ephesians 6, that's where Paul gives the list of the armor of God. He says, put on the armor of God so that you can stand against the devil. And he ends the list with the main, or the, the, the last item in his list is the offensive item in the armor of God. It's the sword of the spirit. And he goes on to say that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So we know that that's one of our weapons. And then he follows this by saying, praying, um, uh, uh, let me turn there because I can't remember exactly what he says. Ephesians chapter 6, this is in verse 17 and 18. So he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So I think there's a sense in which that Paul is linking prayer with the word of God, prayer with the sword of the Spirit. There's an offensive um, sense that prayer has in this list. So I think that the two main weapons that God has given us are um, prayer and the sword the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. These weapons, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, are powerful, but there there are ways in which we can wield them that renders them powerless. These weapons are powerful, but there are ways that we can wield them that renders them powerless. Turn over to Psalm 66, verse 18. This verse, I think, shows um, clearly how it is that these weapons in our hands become useless. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The word there to regard in this in this passage has a sense of to to hold in high esteem or to allow to countenance to give place to if i regard iniquity in my heart if i set up idols in my own heart if i give place to sin in my heart if i have a shrine to my idols in my heart the lord will not hear my prayers And so the weapons that God has given us in our hands become useless. How are we to fight against the idols in our day? This must start in our own hearts and in the house of God. As Calvin uh, once said, our hearts are idol factories. We can make anything and everything an idol. We can take anything and put it in the place of God and bow down to worship it. So in order to stand against and even topple over the idols of the world, we must first recognize the idols in our own hearts. Do you see how this is connected to, if we're going to fight the idols in the culture around us, if we're going to fight these big problems, these big idols like same-sex mirage, transgenderism, and abortion, if we're going to fight against these idols of personal choice, 
we must first recognize and tear down the idols in our hearts. We've talked about the idols out there, but there are some chilling similarities between those idols and the sacrifices that they require and the idols in our own hearts. We struggle against the idol of personal choice, idols of personal choice ourselves. And that's what I want to spend the next few minutes talking about. I want to show you that there are, when you stop to think about it, there are really chilling similarities between the evils that we see, the idols that we see out in the world, and the evils and the idols that we know are in our own hearts. So first, the idolatrous ideology of same-sex mirage is mirrored in our own hearts in two ways. First of all, on the one hand, when we countenance any sort of sex or intimacy outside of marriage, whether before marriage or after marriage, or on the other hand, when we uh, countenance divorce as an option, we bow the knee to this idol of personal choice, sacrificing God's definition and design for marriage on that altar. Okay, so on the one hand, when we, uh, I think far more often than, than we as um, tidy Christians want to admit, we are okay, our churches are okay with couples who are not married fornicating. We're okay or we, we turn a blind eye to um, uh, couples who uh, are adulterous in their marriage. We're okay with that. We countenance that. And even if our churches are not okay with that, even if we're as individuals not thinking that it's okay, we find ourselves stumbling stumbling in these ways. Why is that? Right? You can have two people who are um, the, 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 um, uh, the gold standard of Christian in your church. And before they're married, they stumble. It's because even if even for a moment they're bowing down to this idol in their hearts that says, I can do whatever I want with my body. Instead of submitting themselves to God. Instead of worshiping God, they've begun to worship themselves. And, and how is this connected to the idol of same-sex mirage? It's because they've sacrificed God's definition of marriage. Sex is a gift that God has given to married couples. It's the thing that Jesus says God uses to make man and woman one flesh. It's something designed for marriage and marriage alone. And when we use it outside of marriage, whether before marriage or in adulterous relationships, that's idol worship. Fornication is using God's gift however I want to use it, not how God has designed it. Similarly with divorce, I think again, far more um, frequently than we are ready to admit publicly, we consider divorce an option in our marriages. I'm not talking about the extreme cases. I'm not talking about um, adultery. I'm not talking about uh, extreme cases of abandonment. I'm talking about relatively normal marriages. I don't, I don't know this person that I married 10, 15, 20 years ago. They're not the same. 
Things are hard. Things are really tough right now. Maybe it would be just better to get a divorce. These are the things that we tell ourselves. When you got married, you took wedding vows, right? Wedding vows are not for your wedding day. Because the fact of the matter is, you married a sinner. And more importantly, your spouse married a sinner. Shocker. Your wedding vows are for the lean years. The lean days. They're not a sentimental thing for your wedding day that people get to watch. You take wedding vows, you take covenant vows of marriage so that when things are hard, when things are tough, you're bound together by God. By the the kind of marriage that God has designed, not what the culture tells you. But do you see how both with sex outside of marriage and divorce, we are mirroring in our hearts by bowing down to these idols, we mirror the same idols that our culture is, uh, is coming at us with a full court press when it comes to same-sex mirage. How do we expect to take down those idols in the culture when we don't take down those idols in our own hearts? Now, on the other hand, turn this thing around. By faithfully honoring marriage as God instituted it, both in marriage and before marriage, you do topple over the idols in the culture around you by first toppling over the idols in your heart. By doing this, you take part in tearing down the idols of the world. This is the first step. And it's more efficacious than you realize because the world doesn't get marriage anymore. Our country doesn't get marriage anymore. So be faithful in your marriages and teach them and show them and tear down these idols. Okay, secondly, we talked about the idol of transgenderism. There is an idol in many hearts today in the church that demands the sacrifice of God-designed and God-assigned gender roles. Okay, we see this in the church in a number of places. We see this where men, fathers and husbands, refuse to love lead, and die for their wives. When a man stays on the couch on his iPhone or his iPad or he's sitting on the couch watching TV or he's staying at work late because he doesn't want to come home, he is bowing down to the same idol that says he could change his sex, he could change his gender and become a woman. Because he's not fulfilling the God-designed role that God has given him as a man. We see this in Ephesians 5. Wives refuse to honor and submit to their husbands. And in doing so, bow down to the same idol that says that she could change her gender and become a man. Because she is refusing to submit to God's law, which says that she is a woman, that that is a gift a precious gift from God, and that He has a plan for her, a design for her. And instead of embracing that, she throws it off and says she can do with her God-assigned gender role what she wants. Do you see that? 
This is also true in churches that refuse to honor God's law and to keep women from teaching in worship. To set up women pastors or women to teach in the churches in the kinds of ways that Paul expressly teaches against in 1 Timothy. But in our day, we, uh, um, we want to dance around what God has said. Men dance around what it means to lead. Wives dance around and nuance what it means to submit. Churches nuance what it means to have, what it means to not have women teaching and worship. And in doing so, we bow down to this same idol that we see in our culture that we all agree is an idol and that needs to be taken down. This idol, this idolatry in the culture says you can change your gender depending on how you feel. And in the church, this idolatry looks like changing the role of your gender depending on how you feel. That's the standard. My body, my choice. But instead, by faithfully honoring the roles that God has created and given to you, you fight against this idolatry. I'm not saying it's simple or it's easy, but there is a real sense in which it is actually simple. God said it. Obey it. Not because you feel like it. This is what we teach our children. Obey because God says so. Not because you feel like it. And in obeying in faith, trusting God to bless you. In doing so, you can say with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we will not bow down nor serve this idol. This is how we fight against the idols in our culture. Be faithful men and women. Be faithful boys and girls. Because that's the gift that God has given you. Lastly, last comparison here. The idolatry of abortion is imitated, or maybe perhaps is an imitation of the lack of faithful discipline of children in the church. The Bible teaches that children need corporal, physical discipline from their parents. Turn to Proverbs. You're probably familiar with these verses, but you need a reminder. And you need to see it for yourself. Turn to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Turn also to chapter 23, Proverbs 23. Verses 24 and 25. I'm sorry, verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. The Bible teaches explicitly that children need physical, corporal, bodily, painful discipline. Why is this? It is one of the tools that God uses to deliver their souls from death. Right? We know this because if you spank your children and they learn to listen to you, you can call them back from the street when their car is going by. 
But I think there's a parallel here with um, also it's one of the tools that God uses to save them. To save their souls, not just their bodies. It's one of the tools that God has given parents to train their children to listen to their parents and in doing so to listen to God. Parents who murder their children in an abortion hate their children. And there are, um, and, and that is self-evident. Sometimes it's because they are deceived by the culture that hates children. But abortion is a manifestation of hatred of children. Right? We know that. The parents who do not faithfully discipline their children hate their children as well. How can you say that? Because God said it. Now, this, this goes both ways. This cuts both ways. You can discipline your children unfaithfully by bringing pain and physical um, discipline upon them, right? You can discipline them bodily and corporally unfaithfully when you're angry or when you're ticked off or when you've been offended by what that little two-year-old did. That's also unfaithful discipline. That's also hatred of your children. But to turn and say that if, if that's hatred, then I'm not going to touch my child. I'm not going to spank him or her. I'm not going to discipline them like God says. That's also hatred. And what's funny is that's the hatred that the Bible seems needs addressing more specifically. Do you see that? Now again, um, those who murder their children in abortion hate their children. Those who do not faithfully discipline their children hate their children. Both sacrifice their children on the altar of the idol of personal choice, of self-love. Parents here, you know when you decide not to discipline your children in any given instant that it's usually not for the sake of the child. Occasionally it might be. But normally it's not. Normally it's because you're tired. You're fed up. You've had enough. Or it's because, um, you might say it's because you don't want to harm them. But really it's because, and you know this, because you're lazy. Because it's hard work to spank that child over and over and over again. And it's only 9.30 in the morning. It's hard. But that's why we do it by faith. God told us to do it. So we do it trusting in his promises for us and for our children. Again, the reverse of this is that faithful discipline, and this is, this is so important for us as um, um, Christians in the mix, right? We're out in the world. We're, we're not all, all of us are not called to be preachers and pastors and to teach the word publicly. And so this is important for us as Christians in the mix, in, in the world, out there, every, in everyday life. This is how you take on these idols in the culture. By faithful discipline and instruction of your children, you resist and push back against this idol of personal self-love, personal choice, both that you've raised up in your hearts 
and we see that we see in the world. Every time you discipline faithfully, every spanking, every faithful spanking says to the world, I will not bow down and I will not sacrifice my child. Every spanking says that. Because it's love. The world's way is idolatry and death. But God's way is salvation and life. And part of disciplining and training your children faithfully is showing them by example how you cast down the idols of personal choice in your life. And one of the ways that you train and discipline your children and show them by example is by spanking them, disciplining them physically. Because you show them that God's way is better than your way. Okay, so we all agree that we want to stand against these idols that we see in our culture. But here's the question. Are we as Christians resisting those same idols as they appear in our own lives, in our own homes, and in our own hearts? You can say you hate abortion, you hate uh, homosexual, uh, excuse me, same-sex mirage. You can say that you hate the ideology of transgenderism. And by the way, to say that you hate those things doesn't mean you hate those people that have had abortions, that have committed themselves in what they want to call a marriage, for those people that have tried to change their gender. We want to welcome those people in because they need healing. They need healing from Jesus. But one of the things that that's involved in healing is casting down those idols. And we need to show them how to do that. If we house idols in our hearts, God will not heed our prayers because one of our primary weapons is prayer. And he says, if you regard iniquity, if you house idols in your hearts, he will not hear you. So hear the word, the sword of the spirit. Let it flay you open so that you see and tear down your own idols, your idols of pride and self-love. And then live out the word. Jesus says that you are salt and light. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Show the world how to take down idols. Be salt, be light, be potent for Jesus. Do this by loving marriage the way that God has made it. Do this by loving and embracing your role specifically as God has defined it as a man or a woman, as a boy or a girl. Children, you are growing up in a, in a world and in a time where um, people don't know the difference between a boy and a girl anymore. And you need to, with your parents, come to understand that God has given you a specific gender for a reason. It's a gift from him. And you need to learn to embrace that and to see what God has planned for you in that. Do this. Be salt and light. Be potent for Jesus by loving and disciplining your children. Do it. Not because it's going to change their behavior. Do it. Not because there are any scientific studies that say it's a good thing. Do it because God says so. And because you love him and you trust him more than you love and trust the idols in your hearts. Children, welcome and trust the discipline of your parents. Discipline is hard, 
and painful for the moment. But it's an act of love. That's hard to see in the moment. But trust that it is. Watch your parents as they faithfully obey God in disciplining you and learn from them what it means to faithfully receive discipline because that's what God has called you to. Following idols, following false gods, never ends well. They end up requiring sacrifice that simply ends in death. But our God, every God, again, requires sacrifice. Our God requires sacrifice as well. But our God requires sacrifice which ends in life. The idols in the world, the idols in your hearts, require sacrifice that ends in death. Frequently, first, the death of your loved ones around you. But our God requires sacrifice which ends in life. Jesus Christ died for you. And he calls you and invites you to die with him. But unlike any other God or idol or savior that the world has ever seen or conjured up, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He calls you to die because he rose from the dead. And if you believe in him, he has given you new life and he will raise you up on the last day. Our God requires sacrifice, just like every other God, every other idol. But unlike any other idol, our God requires sacrifice that ends in life. Because Jesus took the death. So, are you guilty of bowing down to these idols? Are you guilty of bowing down to the idols of the culture? Many of us are. Are you guilty of bowing down to the way those idols are manifested in your own hearts? We all are. So instead of asking the question, are you guilty? Let me say this, you are guilty. So confess it. Tear down the idol and turn to Jesus because he's paid for it. So come to him and receive life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are our Father, and that you sent your Son to die for us. Teach us what it means to cast down idols. Teach us, teach us what it means to stand against idols like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Teach us how to do these things by simply being faithful day to day, hour to hour. We know, Lord, that we cannot do these things except for your grace. So fill us with your spirit. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.